0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 29th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Is the United States doomed to a long period of slow economic growth? Cato Institute Vice President for Research Brink Lindsey argues that slow growth is not inevitable, but in the short term, it's quite likely. His new paper, Why Growth is Getting Harder, is available now at Cato.org. The Tyler Cowen argument. Uh, which you, you've talked about extensively, is essentially that at least for the time being, we've snagged all the low-hanging fruit with respect to uh, technological innovation and that sort of thing. We've gotten productivity gains that we've gotten them, and there aren't a lot to be had, at least in the near term. And you're, you take issue with, uh, with uh, some of that.
1: So, yes, Tyler Cowen wrote The Great Stagnation, where he argued that growth had been slowing over recent decades because, among other things, uh, we've run out of uh, big-ticket innovations, great new ideas for improving consumer welfare. Uh, <clears throat> another economist, uh, Robert Gordon, uh, has uh, seen uh, Cowan and raised him a few by arguing that uh, there's really no great new innovations in the pipeline foreseeable and that the 250-year episode of modern economic growth is about to run out. Uh, I'm uh, agnostic and, uh, and dubious uh, about any grim future for innovation. If I had to put a bet down, I would bet that the future of innovation is very bright. Uh, <clears throat> however, there are other factors that contribute to economic growth besides innovation, uh, and those factors uh, have swung in a negative direction. So even if innovation's future is bright, I'm afraid that over the next 10 or 20 years, we're facing uh, slower than normal growth.
0: Okay. And why is that? Uh,
1: The basic reason is demographics. Uh, The easiest way to get higher uh, output, higher GDP per capita uh, is to get a higher and higher percentage of your population making GDP for a living uh, and we did that through the whole course of the 20th century by moving women out of the home and into the workplace um, that raised uh, the so-called labor force participation rate uh, and over the past few decades it has raised the average hours worked per capita uh, but uh, ever since uh, the uh, turn of the 21st century we uh, labor force participation has been falling. Hours worked per capita has been falling. Uh, Women have come close to catching up with men in terms of labor force participation rates. Uh, So uh, that historical episode uh, is really a one-off event. You can only move women out of the home and into the workplace once. We've more or less done it. Uh, There's some uh, room for upward growth but not much and certainly nothing that rivals what's already happened. So that source of growth uh, has been substantially exhausted. Secondly, uh, if you can't get more workers making GDP it would be great if you could make them smarter uh, so that an hour's worth of their time is worth more. We did a lot of that in the 20th century, a huge increase in formal schooling, uh, so that in 1900, only 6% of uh, 17-year-olds graduated high school, Uh, now it's 75%. Only 2% graduated college uh, back in 1900, now it's about a third. So we had this huge increase, but it's slowing down. Uh, The growth in educational attainment is slowing down. Uh, indeed it's gone into reverse as far as high school is concerned. The high school graduation rate today is lower than it was in the early 1970s. The college graduation rate is higher but only for women. Uh, For men it hasn't moved since 1980. Uh, So uh, here again uh, there's a one-off kind of change. You can only uh, uh, introduce lots of formal education. Once we did it during the 20th century, there is scope for further gains, but it's not uh, of the same extent as what we've already enjoyed. So here again, another source uh, of growth uh, has uh, has run out um, or has run low. So what's left is more investment or more innovation. Uh, unfortunately, the investment rate, uh, the net investment rate, uh, has been falling for decades in line with the falling savings rate, so it seems unlikely we're going to have a turnaround and a huge investment boom tomorrow. Um, finally, there's innovation, uh, which economists measure by uh, what they call total factor productivity growth, which is an increase in output uh, per given unit of labor and capital, and, um, Uh, This is what Tyler Cowen was talking about in The Great Stagnation. Uh, Productivity growth fell in the 1970s, stayed low for a long time, 70s, 80s, 90s. Finally, in the mid-90s, it surged again for a decade. Everybody thinks that's because of the Internet boom. Uh, But about seven or eight years ago, it petered out again. uh, And so productivity growth has been low. Uh, So... All four f- constituent elements of growth, labor participation, labor skill level, capital deepening, and total factor productivity are all weak right now. So there's just no place to hide. It looks like growth is going to be slow, uh, slower than normal
0: uh, for the coming years. Isn't total factor productivity a bit of a thing that's hard to pin down?
1: It's a really—it's uh, basically an error term. It's what's left when economists measure all the inputs to growth. When, right. when, they've su- when they've succeeded in attributing everything they can to labor growth or everything they can to capital growth, what's left is total factor productivity growth. So it is, as economists say, the measure of our ignorance. Uh, so, yes, it's a dodgy number, uh, and it hinges upon uh, trying to measure changes in output over time, and that can be very, very difficult. It's easy for widgets. You just count them up. But how do you measure if you've had an uh, increase in the output of management consulting from one year to the next? Lots of intangible things like that that are hard to measure. Uh, so. Uh the total factor productivity numbers, you always have to take them with a grain of salt. Uh, but it doesn't look like the biases in them have been changing radically over time. So even if they're off, they're off by the same amount from year to year. So what really matters is the trend and the trend has not been favorable.
0: Well, doesn't that also then the fact that it is is—is a measure of our ignorance make it harder to predict what's going to occur with that measure?
1: Well, it, it's uh, even if even if the statistics were fantastic, it would be a radically unpredictable number because progress is uh, is unpredictable.
0: Now, when you you talked about innovation, uh, with respect to education, it is part of the problem here that we've got these giant calcified institutions that have for a long time maybe been, been encouraging young people to go into not particularly productive avenues?
1: Well, we have uh, a uh, – government-dominated K through 12 education sector and a mix of private and public provision of post-secondary education. Um, Certainly the K through 12 level we seem to have gotten everything out of a government monopoly structure of education we can and and over the past uh, 40-50 years we've tripled the dollars we spend per pupil at K through 12 with no increase in test scores and with a lower graduation rate today uh, from high school than we had in the early 70s. So there it looks like uh, uh, we have uh, a system that's broken uh, and pouring more money at it isn't going to solve it. Will we radically change that system over the next five to ten years? That'd be great, uh, but I'm not counting on it. So my guess is uh, that uh, that we're not going to see radical change shortly. Uh, <clears throat> post-secondary education, university education is a more mixed bag. It's a much more decentralized uh, uh, market. Um, but there again, we've had the slowdown in growth, uh, growth of, uh, of college completion. Now, for both uh, K-12 through 12 and uh, post-secondary, we're in the midst of the early days of what looks like really exciting ferment uh, in terms of the possibilities of online education. Uh, so it may be uh, that uh, that over the coming years we'll have uh, big gains uh, in accessibility of, of education and training because of the internet, which will then boost skill levels. That would be great, uh, but... Uh, I don't think you can count on it right now. I think the prudent thing to to say right now is it looks like the growth outlook, based on everything we know, uh, is is pretty is pretty grim for the next decade or two. Just to put it in context, uh, for the past 140 years, from 1870 to 2010, the average. Uh, long-term average trend line of U.S. growth is 2% growth in real GDP per capita. And if you look at a graph such as the graph that I have in my paper, it's really amazing how, how close the U.S. economy has stuck to that trend line. You see a big dip down during the Great Recession. you used to be a big dip up during the World War II boom. But otherwise, it just squiggles right along that 2% trend line. Uh, No uh, forecasts that I'm aware of of long-term economic growth for the United States show us uh, with 2% growth over the next 10 or 20 years. It looks like it's uh, as much as a half a point to a point below that, which is huge when you add it up with compound interest over time.
0: Michael Clemens is a development economist. He uh, spoke here at the Cato Institute not long ago and he argues that uh, loosening restrictions on global migration could boost global GDP dramatically and that's something that it's that's a one-time source of uh, g- potential GDP growth what is the role of immigration in trying to get us back to where we'd like to be in terms of growth
1: let me talk more broadly first uh, I would say that because these external conditions for growth have grown less favorable uh, though that holding public policy constant, we're likely to experience lower growth. So that's the key, right? Uh, Maybe we can change public policy in a direction uh, to improve growth rates. Uh, And I believe that at present, policy change is the low-hanging fruit Uh, We know that there are policies that greatly inhibit uh, labor force participation, greatly inhibit investment, greatly inhibit innovation. And if we could change those policies, we could produce a sunnier uh, growth outlook. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, (coughs) we have politics to deal with. So I would say it's low-hanging fruit guarded by dragons. Uh, So we know what to do, but it's really hard to get it done. On immigration, uh, certainly we could improve just American growth rates by bringing in a lot of new workers, Uh, but to improve growth per capita uh, You would have to bring in workers that uh, that had a higher labor uh, participation rate than existing workers, and generally immigrants do. Uh, On the other hand, those workers would have a lower skill level, uh, assuming they're uh, coming from Mexico and Central America, uh, than existing. So you would have some depression there. So in terms of immediate boosting of growth rates, uh, immigration is probably a net plus, but not a huge
0: one. All right. Should I really care about GDP per capita if I'm bringing in a bunch of uh, people to do work that I'm unlikely to want to continue doing myself? So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I think GDP per
1: capita is not why we live. Right, we live to do, uh, to to have uh, happy, fulfilling lives, and uh, and the real, uh, uh, and as far as immigration is concerned. To me, the the main issue in immigration isn't its impact on growth rates, it's its impact on human freedom. Uh, that there's really no more basic freedom than, than being able to move from here to there. Uh, and so there ought to be very, very good reasons for interfering with that freedom. There aren't very good reasons. Uh, and therefore, I think we ought to see, have comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, but as far as its impact on growth is concerned, uh, I think it's favorable, but not necessarily huge uh, in terms of growth rates and, and growth per capita. Uh, meanwhile, how likely is a huge radical change in the immigration picture? Uh, look at how, uh, at what a uh, just a, a mess the political uh, efforts at, at achieving immigration reform have been over recent years. Perhaps we'll have a breakthrough, uh, but it's likely to be fairly modest.
0: There are a lot of economists who say that GDP growth is has become something like this holy grail, and perhaps we shouldn't care that much about it. Is there an upside to not having? robust GDP growth? Uh, (laughs) Not
1: if the lack of robust GDP growth is caused by bad government policies. So the whole point of government policies, the whole point of changing policies, is to make people better off, and uh, and improving the size of the pie is a way of making everybody better off. So if we can have policy changes uh, that remove barriers that are standing in the way of people doing what they want to do, and what they want to do is to raise output, uh, then those barriers ought to be removed. Uh, now, there could be exercises of freedom uh, that reduce the growth rate. We've, uh, we have seen those already Uh, so as people get richer uh, they don't necessarily want to work as much they buy leisure with their increased income Uh, we've certainly seen over the course of the 20th century uh, the average hours per week uh, fall dramatically back at the turn of the century factory workers worked 12-hour days six days a week Uh, so now the 40-hour week is is commonplace Uh, people enter the workplace uh, later today uh, because they spend all this time in school. They spend a lot longer in retirement. Uh, first, because they retire early, and second, because they live longer after retirement. So all of these are ways of people choosing not to feed the GDP machine, and that's fine. Uh, so so long as, if it's, as long as it's a natural process of people choosing uh, to do other things with their time than, uh, than work on maximizing the dollar value of goods and services Uh, traded through the exchange economy, okay. Uh, But if we find artificial barriers that are impeding people from doing what they want to do, and the result of that uh, is compromising growth rates, then we ought to do something about it.
0: Brink Lindsey is Vice President for Research at the Cato Institute. You can get his new paper, Why Growth is Getting Harder, at our website, cato.org.